Howdy there, listening people. Hi, Ryan. What was that, Bartek? I can't hear you. Sorry, I'm looking up Jimmy Fallon. That's going to be really <laughs> relevant to today's podcast where we talk about the Jimmy Fallon film classic. G- give me uh, one. Give me he one. was in Ted 2 as a... Oh, he played himself. I don't think give, me, give me a movie that Jimmy Fallon starred Fuck, in. Everything's himself after 2010. Well, obviously. Um, He was in 2009 Whip It, Johnny Rocket. There you go. Whip It starring Elliot Page. I'm, I'm pretty sure that is that movie. No, we are actually Spit and Polish Presents. Likingly, because we're always spitting and we both happen to be Polish. And as Polish podcasting folks, we can say with absolute assuredness that Poland loves Jimmy Fallon. Everyone over there is constantly slapping their knees saying, this Jimmy, give me Jimmy. That's what they keep saying in Poland is gimme Jimmy. And yeah, they don't know what it means, but it rhymes, so it sounds nice to it's, say. And would it rhyme in Polish, though? Uh, me Jimmy? No, not really. No. Sorry, it doesn't rhyme. me Jimmy. Yeah, die means give. I like the idea of die, like die me, just kill me, Jimmy, <laughs> kill me, Jimmy. But we do a podcast here called uh, called Pictures Power on Spit and Polish Presents. Pictures Power, where we talk about movies that come recommended. And Bartek, how does the how does the recommendations come to us? Is it is it just we just take from all of the listening people? Is it just you and I pitch movies back and forth to each other? Do we? Just flip a coin, and everyone has a has a has a guess of who gives a movie out. Everything but the coin is pretty much on point, Ryan. Uh, we have a cycle where uh, that works in <clears throat> three week three week cycles. Uh, in the first week, it'll be a recommendation from me. In the following week, it would be a recommendation from you. And then in the third week, to finish off the cycle, we get something from the listening people, which is anyone that isn't you or me. That is correct, and this week it is a listening people's suggestion, and we are doing The Last of the Mohicans, the Michael Mann film starring Daniel Day-Lewis, the iconic Daniel Day, and it is a movie that has got a lot of stuff happening in it plot-wise, but this came recommended by someone very important and special to the podcast, Bartek, who, who said... Do The Last of the Mohicans, please. That was my stepbrother, Machek, who has previously recommended us Bedazzled, Desperado, and The Mission. Where does this rank in this being as sexy as Bedazzled? That was the first recommended, and that was the sexiest. Yeah, Yeah, that's true. Well, this film... Daniel Day-Lewis has won an Oscar, yes, I'm pretty sure he has. So this film and Bedazzled are both led by Oscar-winning actors. <laughs> just think about that for a while, just chew on that. And uh, The Mission as well, Jeremy Irons has won an Oscar. And De Niro. De Niro has, too, yeah, yeah. yeah. And, what, uh, Desperado, who's won an Oscar? Uh, not, not, not Antonio Banderas, <laughs> not Salma Hayek, not Robert Rodriguez. Quentin Tarantino, did he win an Oscar? Yeah, sure. Let's give it to him. Sure. Let's give it to him. <laughs> Where's Steve Semi's Oscar? Where's Danny Trejo's Oscar? But we are talking about The Last of the Mohicans. Listening people, if you have not seen The Last of the Mohicans, we recommend that you give it a view for yourself because we are going to get into much more details about this movie. It is deceivingly simple in its premise, but mm. it begins to uh, unravel and unfold in some interesting ways to say the least it is a case of 
the early foundations of America, the British and the Ameri- uh, the British and the French are fighting over the land and the Native Americans are stuck in the middle and there's different factions and this is movie really dealing with the disillusionment of uh, the the nation at large. It's just all of these people are pulling at it in these different ways and they're just common folk stuck in the middle of these evil forces. Yeah, I I have a sort of vague idea of early American history because in the first half of year 11, for some reason, the colonial times in America was the topic that we covered for that half year. Um, and it was, I didn't know anything about this film going in. I knew that it was based on a book because I mentioned last week it was referenced in a mad TV sketch, but I didn't know what it was about. Uh, didn't know what a Mohican was. Um, oh, really? yeah, no, I didn't know really anything about this. So when it was set in America during colonial times, they said Mohicans are a you know, native American tribe. Suddenly that gave it a bit of context. And when I think of, that early American history. It's like there were the colonial times when they got there, settled in. Um, pilgrims, all that. Pilgrims. Then there was conflict with the British, War of Independence. Uh, then it's America. And then there was Civil War. And then it kind of moves on from there. Um, and so that period between, you know, getting there and War of Independence, I didn't really have an idea in my head of like, oh, does a lot go on in there? Obviously, you know, hundreds of years, but I think past. I can't remember exactly when the War of Independence was. It's not but- our nation, so we don't care about the timeline fully. <laughs> yes, but but still, like, in my head, that was just like a blank period. And the fact that this film was set in that period, you know, kind of piqued my interest when it started, you know, showing what it was. Oh, interesting. Yes, uh, I have not seen this film before. I knew very little about it. I think I'd seen segments of this just in my life, maybe in a film, like maybe in a history class or just on television. And with with the with our lead actor here, we have a bit of a reputation. He's one of the most acclaimed actors of all time. And you have to wonder, oh, why is that? What films has he done? Oh, he's done this and this and this. And Last of the Mohicans is one of the ones that floats up to the top of his filmography. And Michael Mann is a very acclaimed director. And this is a historical epic. And this was coming out at a period of time, the 90s, where you were getting a lot of these epic historical dramas like uh, uh, The Patriot and Braveheart and so on and so on and so on. And it just felt like uh, this was just going to be so much in that mold going into it. Oh, you see the poster. And heck, he even looks like Tom Cruise on the poster running around. Like, it looks like an action epic movie with the long hair and the gun and the all of that happening. And I really didn't know what I was getting in for. I knew what Mohicans were. The title kind of gave me an inclination that this was going to be a movie about uh, Native Americans, and I didn't know if it was going to be a Dances with Wolves situation or not, especially because it is our lead man, is this white guy who's adopting the culture and the traditions of uh, the indigenous people. And it's like, oh, is it going to be... 
insensitive like what's the what's the perspective like what are they going to do here i really didn't know that's why when last couple of movies we've done i'm like oh this will this actually relates it's like oh native america and and the americans in the west and so on and so forth when we did shane last episode there was conversations about this period of time basically about how we had to fight for our land and we had to get our independence we had to install the government that we were here to do and yet all of it is off the blood, sweat, and tears and tragedies of the people who lived here before yeah, us. That, that, that is kind of that, because a lot of references were made to the Civil War, but then there was that one scene where we kept talking, we kept coming back to it, where uh, a character actually does bring up, like, well, what about the Native Americans, mm-hmm. you know, back then? <laughs> yeah, so this is... Uh... Let's just dive in more fully, more deeply. Again, everyone, if you haven't seen the film for yourself, go watch it. It's out there. It's available to see here in Australia. It's on a streaming site called Stan. Everywhere else, I'm not too sure. I imagine it's on Amazon and who who knows. This is so confusing, though, just to get to this point immediately about distribution. Mm -hmm. Streaming sites are always weird. Like, who owns what? This is a Fox film. It says Fox. At the beginning of this, I'm pretty sure. I hope I'm not mistaken. And yet, it's not on the Australian Disney Plus because Disney owns Fox. Right. And it's not on there. And the thing is, Disney streaming service, Disney Plus, has a surprising amount of things you wouldn't expect on there. And then also things that you would expect to be on there just aren't. Like in their in their ownership of all of these industries, all of these places, you think that, oh, this movie surely wouldn't be on the family friendly site, but there it is. Like I can watch an erotic thriller. I can look, I can watch high velocity on Disney Plus. But Last of the Mohicans, no, 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 no. We don't want that on our site. Give it to whatever country's local streaming service it is and have them get a little bit of a kickback on it. And I just found that very, very interesting. It's just, I don't know how they work, these these streaming sites. And in recent times, that's been a huge point of conversation, obviously, with the, with the strikes and everything. It's like, these streaming services are so corporate and removed from what previous mm. film industry standards are that you just raise your eyebrow and go like how does it why, why is it like this it's all up in the air even though as you just pointed out like there should be some logic to it like when a company that makes or distributes films doesn't have a film that has their company attached to it it is as i confirmed it is a 20th century fox film but distribution-wise, internationally, it's Warner Brothers, so maybe that's why it's not on our Disney site, because distribution internationally falls to someone who's not owned by Disney, (laughs) Warner Brothers. So, because that happens, right? Like, we see that as well, like, oh, maybe Fox doesn't want to shill out for Australia to get it, so Warner Brothers will pick up the slack. We've, heck, Austin Powers had weird stuff like that with its distribution, but... All of the business and technicals out of the way. What did you think of the movie? I, I'm kind. Of, it was a good film, but I'm kind of neutral on it. It kind of just went in one ear, one the uh, out the other for me. Really? Yeah. What about it? Do you think uh, had that uh, had that effect on you? I'm honestly not too sure. This, to be honest, this is one that I'm walking into the episode like, geez, what am I going to say about this one? It, it, 
it didn't feel like its length. It's an almost two-hour film, but it went by smoothly for me. Um, it had good performances. The story was interesting enough, but I just it didn't really capture me that all that much, and I'm really not too sure why. I'm hoping, yeah, as we talk about it, I might be able to elaborate more on my feelings on it. Marchek throws these ones in there for you in a weird way, because I assume that you guys are going to have similar tastes and similar vibes to things and then then, then the mission came along (laughs) and then this one comes along and i i'm yeah i was i was wondering what your thoughts would be on this because when we did the mission which i do feel like this pairs beautifully with Mm. you had a similar reaction uh i would say at least on first impressions a warmer reaction at least you had your own history with the mission yeah i Uh, I, I referenced it earlier this year even yeah and morant i think and uh, you in the Tears of the Black Tiger, you referenced it. Did uh, I? Your history with the mission. Yep. Yep. Because we we're talking about dog uh, in that. We were teaching oh, our we, American we friends. Were, we were telling uh, both our guests in we were both those episodes. We telling the Americans okay. uh, colloquial terms. Okay. I definitely talked about it in Breaking Morant. But, but yeah, yeah I... I wasn't too sure what to really get from the movie going into it. Again... I've seen some of these before, these these epic historical dramas, these ones taking place in the early days of America, the ones dealing with Native American issues, and although I find that stuff to obviously be important, and if you tell a good story and you have good characters, it should overcome most things, but to be honest, there's only so much I can give a shit about American stories. Hmm. For people not from America, the entire American mythos foundation, the dream of America, the ideology of America, the just the bloodshed of America, it's like I know it. But I shouldn't know it as much as I do, but because it's an industry that is primarily dominated by that country. I will know it. Like, I have to have a fucking opinion about American Civil War films. But nowhere in America are they expected to have an opinion on colonial Australian dramas. Like, you know, it's just, it's it's that thing where I have to care because I have to enjoy movies in some way. But deep down, I just don't have that level of investment that this film clearly does. This film clearly has, like, here's this historical stuff and here's these characters and Daniel Day-Lewis fucking lived in the wilderness and did this and this and it's just like all of this attention to details of things that are very potent, very important. Some great character actors are in this, some great Native American actors are in this and I appreciate it on that level but as its own story, sadly I am in the same boat as you where I just did not have any attachment to this. It just went in one ear, out the other. I just didn't care as much as i should you uh you compared it to the mission before i was actually thinking of that and another film that this kind of makes a sort of trifecta with and all are from different countries there's this one the mission and the nightingale i was thinking of the nightingale as well yeah and definitely the nightingale i love the most of of the bunch no surprise it is australian and it is a very dark film (laughs) it hurts you yeah but no in in this film like there were a few things that i Again, because this was in a bit of a blank period that I don't really know much about. Like, well, they brought up the the war with the French, mm-hmm. and I thought that was interesting. Like, okay, so there was some sort of conflict with the French were involved somehow. 
Um, I guess they, they were from Canada because they kept mentioning like Ottawa and stuff like that. Um, so I did have some interest there. It's like, okay, how does this all kind of fit in historically? Um, and it was interesting that while the forefront of the war was, you know, like the British and the clone, the colonists versus these like French colonists, it was interesting that like the two Native American factions kind of took over the conflict and mm-hmm. the focus of the film. I did like that part. And definitely when I talk about how performances in this film really captivated me, like I do think of the Native Americans, especially like that Magua, the villain. Oh, yeah. Yeah, he was great. He's in he's in a lot of stuff. That actor, weirdly enough, I know him the best in uh, the Ben Stiller comedy film Mystery Men. He's in that film, okay. which is just a very weird thing to be knowing of him for. But apparently, he loved working on it. So, <laughs> a movie where Paul Rubin's power is he farts real good. So yeah, it's, <laughs> it's, it is what it is. But I. The Nightingale came up for me a lot as well as like a, a modern point of comparison and also one that's a, a local thing where that's telling a very, uh, I guess, similar type of story, but it hits very much for us because this is something we are uh, aware of, but maybe not as much as, as we should be. Mm. And you're talking about like, oh, this period of American history may be uh, unknown to you, but I wouldn't be surprised as well to the common people there that maybe they don't know all of this this period as well. Because mm. again, what do you see in movies? You don't always see this incident, like this mo- window in time, be examined under the microscope of film as often as the Civil War or you know George Washington doing this battle over here and this this. And with the French, uh, I can only speak for myself. With the French involvement, I always see them in movies in the in American conflict as a side asset of a story, or like it's after and their and their people are still a remnant here. Like in the Revenant, the Leonardo DiCaprio film, they're like some of them are like French fur trappers and stuff, just doing their thing, and mm. it's just like they're still lingering after yeah. what was something where they had a massive stake and claim in the land that they were fighting yeah. for the, against the British. There was a line early in the film where, I can't remember who, who said it, but they were talking about the, the French and about how they don't have the inclination to fight or something like that. And that reminded me of like that common, you know, American making fun of France for surrendering in World War II, stuff like that. But this was obviously, you know, hundreds of years before that. So I didn't know if that was like a genuine thing from that time or if that was, you know, coming from a modern context. Well, they were having their revolutions and stuff too at some point. Yeah, this was around Blackout of Three time, wasn't it? Sure, sure. That's (laughs) the period of time we'll know it for. But... I did not connect with The Last of the Mohicans. Another thing that I, this may get me some hot water to be put in, but I do not care for Daniel Day-Lewis as an actor. I, I've i been told my whole life how important he is and that he's one of the greats and he does all of this method acting. And one time he did a performance of Shakespeare and he had to leave because he saw the ghost of his father. Like he's so involved in the role. <laughs> Even in this film, he had to get treated for phobias that he gained because his character had them. And it's just like, for some reason or another, I only really like him in There Will Be Blood because There Will Be Blood is a 
fucking amazing movie and he's really like he is great in that and because he's playing like a a horrible piece of shit in this movie i'm supposed to care about him but i find him so cold i always find daniel day lewis to be such a cold performer i am always at a distance from him i never warm up to any character he plays and when there will be blood that's good that's like a part of the story is like you are supposed to be disgusted by him but he's your lead character in this it's like he's always got his shirt off he's like look how muscly and fit i am i got the long hair i'm being romantic and i felt nothing i'm just like nothing (laughs) just a wall of just impenetrable doom between me and the central performance and when he's having to no sacrifice me for her and oh no and we're looking off into the sunset and the at the end and we're hugging near a waterfall i just no emotion was felt and i i've I've had that constantly with daniel day lewis as an actor didn't care for lincoln i was just nothing with that just I just don't like him as an actor, and that is sacrilegious to say for many people, but I don't go seeking his films all that often because when I do, this is the reaction I have. Like Maybe <laughs> I'd love the movie more if there was someone else in the role, but even then I can't guarantee it. All I can tell you is what I've got right now, and the and the and one of the big hurdles I had, other than I've seen this type of story so often... And it's a story from a like a from a nation that I just I can't fully invest myself in because it's not my not my place. But it feels like I've had to care about it, like I'm forced to care more than than I than I would like to. And it's not to say like I am disregarding the injustices and genocides that happen in this movie, but it's just like American history is American history. I don't need it to be mine all we the time. We get we get exposed to it a lot. Like there, there's the common not even joke that I like to sometimes bring up is just reminding people that, hey, Hollywood films are technically foreign films to us. Yeah. They hold values that I don't have in my nation. But are very familiar with because we're just exposed to it a lot. Yeah. Yeah. Honestly, Daniel Day-Lewis, I'm not entirely sure what I have seen him in. You know, it'd probably be easier for me if I wasn't looking up Jimmy Fallon and looking up him instead (laughs) uh, when we start recording. But, um... I definitely have heard that whole mythos about him being, you know, the most amazing actor, but I walked into this apprehensive, like, well, you know, he's probably not going to blow me away, and he just seemed to do the role fine. I, yeah, don't really see one way or the other. Like, I was more invested in, like, Magua and some of the other actors in the film. Um, And you you mentioned the romance. Like, the romance just felt really tacked on. Like, that was one that I just didn't really... One of the plots of the film that I didn't care about really at all. And it's immediate. Mm. It's a classic case of they both give each other the we're in love look. Mm. I also agree. It feels tacked on. It feels not just tacked on, but required. It's required in the story. These films have this kind of thing. You need to have an emotional core in the movie. And, oh, what's easy? Man, woman, goo goo eyes, enough. You know what didn't have that? The the mission. The mission didn't That's need true. a romance mm-hmm. to tell its story, and it did it really well. <laughs> I yeah, I that that's a problem I have with this movie is throughout it, there's so many things that feel required or expected or there's there's clearly a level of throwback and homage 
This is a melodramatic film by nature. When they are hugging in the waterfall and it's their silhouettes and the, you see the water there and, and you know in the distance there's going to be a threat coming through that waterfall, it is so much harkening back to the golden age of cinema or even silent movies. It's something that you see Scorsese do in like his latest film, for instance. But there was just something about how this film implemented those things that I just never found to be honest. They just never found this to be honest in that. And okay, here's something that maybe me having grown up as an Australian and there's this like loathing of colonialism that happens, but also we have to contest with the fact that Australia is a colony. Oh yeah. It is a colonial nation. Is when the when the British are like when they first get uh, attacked, when they're taking them to the thing and oh Margaret's group has attacked them and they're killing the British and it's like uh oh no we're killing the British. I spent most of that scene being like, yeah, good. <laughs> fucking kill these guys and then the scene turned around I was like no this is bad not the poor British and I was like oh right yeah because the first five minutes of the movie portray the British as assholes like Jared Harris one of the best living actors of all time is like the British lieutenant on the horse at the beginning and he's just like you must obey the king's orders or else you'll be fucked and then they have to go back to the town and they have yeah. to do the whole pomposity and it's like okay the British are being portrayed as assholes and look they have this Native American guy they don't even know his name they're like what's your name again sir and then they get led into this trap where they're getting killed and I'm like yes fuck the British <laughs> and then the movie's like poor British don't you like these Native Americans are just going too hard on these poor Brits. And I'm like, fuck them. Yeah, well, the way the British are introduced in this film, I thought like, oh, okay, this this is going to be the story that ends in like the War of Independence. Like, oh, the British are being, you know, assholes here to the colonists. So, you know, they're going to start an uprising or something like that. But, but no, the, 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 the history of the film doesn't go that far. No. So the, the British are kind of the... I hesitate to say good guys, but they're the faction that we're following. Yes. And I want to follow this from the Native American perspective more than the fucking British white people perspective. That uh, it's a, it's a, it's as simple as that. With the the Nightingale for instance, that film has uh, a white protagonist, but they're Irish and the point of that movie makes it very specific and clear that although the Irish have not suffered the horrors of colonialism as bad as the Aboriginals, they still have suffered it and have a loathing. And her and our Aboriginal lead character can can come to terms with their differences and appreciate that they both live in a fucked up world that the British have created for them. This movie is like... This noble British man is going to sacrifice his life to those nefarious Native Americans because he loves a girl so much. And I'm like, <laughs> like, like, I can't tolerate how this movie both is wa wagging its finger at the British, like like the, the British general guy, whatever he was, like their dad, how... He's so Monroe. He's so whatever. He's so disrespectful to the Native Americans. Then he gets his heart ripped out and eaten. But it's portrayed. But that moment's portrayed like, oh, poor guy. That's really upsetting <laughs> for him. But then he's also portrayed like, I think this movie is too on the side of the British. But when we show the French, the French don't even seem that villainous. 
to me. They just seem innocuous to me. Like, they're British. To me, the British seemed more of the faction that I was rooting against, but the film was following them and being like, poor them at many points. When when you had the scene where they had the negotiation, like, oh, wow, the the French have, like, been way more polite than I was expecting for what they'd been built up as. Like, the French seem, you know what, (laughs) the French should have won this. I I was on their side way more. And again, it's still about fucking over the indigenous people. And this is a thing I saw online as as a statement of review, which is there's this argument, there's this thing to be made about how the villainous faction that is, the like, the villainous faction of the Native Americans are portrayed as too evil. But there's a dissonance there because you agree with them or, like, you feel something for them. Because, like, what was the lead villain character? Uh, Magua. I I liked him. Hmm. Like, I knew he was evil. I knew what he was doing was wrong and bad. But he had fucking passion. Yes, it, he had feelings. It's similar to uh, the, the villain from last week. Like, when you get his backstory and his reason for, you know, his resentment of who he resents, it it made sense. And this actor in particular playing that character, he's a a well-known Native American actor. He's been in a bunch and he has a lot of accolades. He has a lot of history. He, he, especially when he gives the speech about why he's doing everything he does, he adds a sense of epicness and quiet beauty and weight to the entire film that I don't think really any other actor brings to to this like fucking daniel day lewis you know the british actor daniel day lewis <laughs> i'm sure like yes this story about the, the native americans really means a lot to him no this actor here playing mogwai like it means something to him mm. like i just felt the weight of that and it's like yeah these these native americans are so evil that they're doing the scalping and the i'm gonna rip your heart out and eat it. I'm going to kill your whole generation of family so that there are none. Yes, that is very villainous, but the thing is, I liked him, that character, and that group because they had passion. Well, I felt like the other characters weren't passionate about anything. They were just kind of reactive, like, oh no, those people died. I knew them. Yeah, the the Mohican group, They, even though they're the titular characters... They did feel, in a weird way, sort of tacked on to the story because they, even the, the way they get involved in the story is kind of just coincidental, right? Like they happen to be there when, mm-hmm. uh, what happened again? Was they got a, the, oh, like, they saved the British and they brought them back to their camp? Yes. Yeah, that's right. That's yes, right. Yes, yes. They were there to stop them. Oh, being right. Magua's Magua. Yeah, that's right. When he was massacring the, the British, ambushing them. Yes, yes. Yeah, yes. Tricking them, taking them to a trap. Yeah, yeah. that's right. Yes. And uh, the, just, I remember to, the film. <laughs> just to point out uh, the actor who plays Magua, who is uh, Wes, Wes Study, uh, that's the name on IMDb, he was in Deep Rising. So we've seen him in a movie before, in oh, fact. Oh, okay. And, uh, yeah. And uh, again, around. But as you were saying, like, the last the Mohicans themselves as a group, just a group we have. I don't feel like I got to know them, but I got to know the 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 villain group of the Native Americans the in this moron, film. Right? Yeah, I felt like I got to understand their culture, their beliefs, and how this guy was corrupting what they what they were about. And it's like the the film's called Last of the Mohicans, and I didn't know much about the Mohicans. I didn't at least I didn't. 
have a a connection to to them in this. Yeah, well, while watching the film, I wasn't really thinking about the fact that oh, the all that's left of the Mohicans is two, you know, people who are Mohicans by blood and the adopted son. Like that wasn't really a factor that was playing in my head the whole way through. And then it's really only. You know, when the film ends, that I really felt like they actually focused on the the what the title is. I just we um, you have you ever seen the Dances with Wolves? No, I haven't. You know of it though, right? I've heard of it. Yeah. This there's a complaint about that. I was like, oh, we have to tell the Native American story or any indigenous story to white people by having a white person in it. Like, oh, Kevin Costner. He lives with them and he understands their culture and he becomes a part of it. Now he fights for them. And Daniel Day-Lewis's character, by his very nature, is not necessarily that. But in a weird way, it is. Like, I don't need... Like, you could do this movie, you could write this movie and have the lead guy be a Native American. Like, just have him be a Native American. I think it would actually be more powerful because... There are so many moments where I kind of just rolled my eyes at Daniel Day-Lewis giving a passionate speech about the rights of Native Americans. <laughs> I'm like, what the fuck you? We, like, we, we while, should... while the Native American actors are standing behind him with their arms crossed, nodding, out of focus in the background. I'm like, fucking yeah. give them a voice <laughs> in the movie. And, and we should point out to the listening people that this isn't a case of like whitewashing. Like, he is specifically like a white adopted son. He gets yes. called my white son multiple times in the film. So it's it's not whitewashing, but yeah, your point does stand of like, oh, it'd be more interesting coming out of those voices there. And again, not to play a game of movie movie uh, comparison, but watch the watch the Nightingale because uh the lead character in that movie tries to do the shit that Daniel Day-Lewis does in this movie and is called out for being an ignorant piece of shit who's trying to prop herself up as being virtuous because she's trying to equate her life to their life and it's just you know it, it, like i i i just uh, why again the the group of native americans that we're supposed to be fearful of i find to be more sympathetic is they're the ones out of the Native Americans who were given a voice in the movie. Mm. Like, do you remember any speeches or scenes of the Mohicans? Or do you remember our bad guy's speech about why he's doing everything he's doing in the movie? I remember the last few lines of the film when they spoke and they were the only ones on screen. <laughs> Unless the, the, the daughter was there too, I guess. But. Oh, funny thing. So the movie is about how these two daughters of this important British man... Uh, being led there, but oh no, attacks have happened along the way, and uh, this Native American group wants to get revenge on this British guy's whole entire family because of an injustice in the past. And we have our auburn-haired daughter, and we have our blonde-haired daughter, and the auburn-haired daughter is the the lead romantic interest, and Daniel Day-Lewis is auburn-haired, and there's a there's a great review of my queer reading of this is fall in love with someone with the same haircut as you because they both have the same haircut. <laughs> <laughs> they both have the same hair in this movie but you get this romance and this whole you're mysterious and quiet i like you and he's like and for a filthy british person you're actually quite caring i like that about you and then also the blonde sister exists in the movie <laughs> like she got no character man why was she, she was just there i can't even tell you what her name was this is 
big moment One before of them she Cora. dies. When she that's our lead. Yeah, okay, there you go. When the blonde haired one kills herself again, spoiler alert, she dies. It's like drawn out. It's like, oh, she's gonna and I was just like, just grab her. <laughs> you can just <laughs> grab her right now. But she kills herself and is played like, oh no, she's dead. And the guy, the Native American, that guy that was flirting with her died. So she killed him herself because of his death. And oh, and it's like, did they have scenes? Like they had ex- they had glances at one another, but who was she? It was just, we need more than one lady. Well, uh, we'll, put it, we'll highlight this. In the scene where she was about to kill herself, I was thinking like, oh, She's going to, you know, jump and end her life to, you know, die on her own terms. But my eyes were fixed on, like, oh, what's Magua feeling about this? <laughs> yeah, 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 exactly. Who was she? Who was? This is really awful because I was hoping for dear life that you would be like, I love this movie, Ryan, and I was hoping you were going to steer it because I, I like, like you, rarely do I get this, but I was like you coming in like, how do I talk about this without... Like, just being like, I didn't like it and shit on it. Because this is a highly acclaimed movie. This is a well-renowned movie. People love this movie. I read stuff. I watched some reviews. I wanted to know what the... Why this is something that has hit so hard. Even the title was something I knew of. It has such a reverence in, in film culture. And Michael Mann is a brilliant director. But I've heard, I've heard so much. And yet, none of it is things that I can say is true for myself. Like, I just... Like, all these characters I found to be paper thin. I just didn't know who any of them were. And the ones that I cared for, the movie was like, yeah, but you're supposed to only care about them in the way that is you are rooting against them. It is a case of, oh, the villains in the movie, I'd actually watch their movie. Mm. I'd watch their story. I wasn't rooting for them, but I was compelled by them. Yeah, I wasn't rooting for them, but I was compelled by them. Like I but you can watch a movie of someone that you're not rooting for. Yeah. Um but were there any other elements that you wanted to to discuss? Any scenes, any any choices in the filmmaking or actors or anything of that nature? I don't know if it's got a big discussion behind it and it's probably I probably said the exact same things in The Mission and The Nightingale, but I did enjoy the locations in the film. Is very beautiful, you know, I think it's North Carolina it was filmed in. Really great forest environments. I was always interested when, you know, they were walking through them. Just nice to look at. The cinematography is very well done. The mm. lighting is gorgeous. The costumes look great. Oh, yeah, yeah. It is not a uh, sloppy or lazy film in any way when it comes to the production of it. And if you read any of the trivia, most of it is about the making of the movie and how difficult it is to make the movie and just the long hours that they made the movie. And I I think it's one of those where it's about the technical of making the movie rather than the movie itself that is impressive. Another Daniel Day-Lewis one that actually this kind of makes me think of is a Scorsese movie, Gangs of New York. I don't like Gangs of New York, but you have to respect Gangs of New York because of just the sheer dedication to the craft of filmmaking. The effort of it is impressive, but the actual film itself I don't. I don't think is is the greatest of Scorsese's work, to say the least. But that's that's what I'm getting from this. Is just like the action is fine. Like when they kill people, I don't feel any of the. There was no moment where someone died, where I actually felt bad about it. It was just like, oh yeah, okay, 
Like, mm. they cut his heart out and then they ate it. I didn't feel any, like, oh, ooh, I, I didn't go, ooh. it was, yeah, okay. Just, I was so yeah. passive during uh, this To be film. honest, I don't even really remember whose heart was cut out. <laughs> it was like a, their dad, like the Monroe. Right, right. Uh, Grey hair, mm. as he kept calling him. Uh, yeah, I, there were some cool character actors that popped up. I mentioned Jared Harris was in this film. Uh, I can't remember. Do you know who Jared Harris is? I've heard. I think I've heard the He's name. He's the son yeah. of Richard Harris, uh, who was Dumbledore, uh, right, the first okay. Dumbledore. Mm-hmm. Jared Harris has been in a in a whole multitude of things in recent years. He was in uh, Chernobyl, the miniseries. He was in Sherlock Holmes two. He played Moriarty in that movie. The oh, Robert Downey Jr. I've yeah, seen that. yeah, he was Moriarty in that. Uh, he's in, uh, the Mad Men, he's in that, but yeah, he's, he's one of the great actors. Like you see him and you're like, Hey, it's Jared Harris. I love that guy. He's one always the, one of the great actors like Daniel Day Lewis. I love Jared Harris. And so when he <laughs> turned up at the very beginning as like a snooty British guy, I was like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Give me more of this. And then he left. I was like, no, I, I didn't read too much of the trivia, but I liked the first trivia point on IMDb <laughs> where it was, um, Apparently they had very intricate uh, lighting on the sets mm-hmm. and they had a lot of speakers around the set so that, you know, the director could be heard anywhere. And there came a point where a large orange light was turned on and the director started yelling, someone turn off that orange light. And then you could hear someone behind him say, that's the sun, Michael. <laughs> <laughs> there was another thing about how there would, he was, Michael Mann was doing too many takes for the movie oh, like yes, 20 30 was... takes so they had to send someone down to basically stand over his shoulder and say that's enough michael yeah. that's enough because we don't have the money michael and well, i was saying it's making me think of mila kunis in that Sony show michael michael <laughs> yeah. that's enough michael that's enough michael that's a son michael i thought you're going to say like a, a john peters story where he's a famous film producer where he'll just is that his name john peters yeah yeah where he would come on to set and be like okay this is what you need to do <laughs> reminds you of that type of thing where it's like they send someone down and they they're like no 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 don't do the movie do this thing put, put a, a spider in there put a giant spider in it michael 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 put a giant spider in the movie but set a spi- in histor- historical times a spider from the streets from, from the streets <laughs> uh, i don't have much to say unfortunately because okay let, let's just say this you know th- what is it about this movie do you think is something that has rung out so positively like this isn't as like when i say to you this movie is critically acclaimed you're not surprised to hear that yeah why do you think it is something that has done so well and has a positive uh, reputation when it leaves us so cold it's a good question. Look, the only thing I really knew about Last of the Mohicans, again, Mad TV sketch, was that it is a book. And the fact that it has been a book made into a movie must mean that the book has some sort of significance or, you know, something worthy of turning into a film. And so, by not, well, not by default, but like surely that would mean that a film adaptation of this book might resonate with people more because, you know, a lot of people like films more than books. So maybe it's it was a concept inside this book that has reached more people through the film. Like that's all that I can really think of. But again, a lot of the things that we did like about this film was the performances and you know, there were little bits of intrigue about the setting and the, the historical context to it, but 
in terms of what people grab from it, I, I really don't quite know what the main thing would be. Like you brought up the fact that the, what might not have appealed to us so much was that it is yet another film in this American historical context and we can only care so much about it. Um, but then you did, and rightfully so, start complimenting The Nightingale. And I started thinking in my head like, oh, well, there are probably going to be some people that hear that and think like, you know, oh, well, I'm not Australian, so why would I not be, in- why would I be interested in The Nightingale? And I started thinking about The Nightingale in my head and there are a lot of, I think, really objectively recognisable things in that. Like, I remember when we did that episode on The Nightingale, um, we kept talking about how we spent, I think it was like 20 minutes with our female lead main character, like getting sympathetic to her, really liking her. And then suddenly when you put her in the scene together with a, a native a, a Aboriginal man, suddenly she is incredibly racist and unlikable. And it was really- Unprivileged. A, a privilege. And it like really kind of played with your perception of the character. And I feel like that is something that is a bit more universal. So- Maybe some people see something universal in this film, but uh, yeah, we're just not really grabbing it. Yeah, uh, yeah, I think for for people out there, this is an emotional experience. Many comments I saw were talking about the emotional power that the visuals brought on, as well as the music and these acting skills from the performers and the hard hitting subject matter. It is it is touching upon some really awful things. And as I stated at the very beginning, if you have a good story, a good blah, and so on and so forth, I can overcome a lot of these obstacles that I've been going through in the episode. But for whatever reason, I just don't find this story and the characters in it to be good enough for me to invest myself in. And I don't think that the film is really grappling with the subject matter as firmly as it could be. I I don't like how much this film is not spending time with the Mohicans or, or their 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 stances on things and that we are framing the British as like good, relatively speaking. And yet when we see the French, they seem perfectly fine. Like they're obviously both bad uh, sides and they're using these Native American groups as their proxy war within their literal war against each other. And when I say that literal sentence, that sounds interesting to me. I would watch that movie. But when I actually see this movie on my screen, I just am so not involved in it. It's just so strange to me that I, this is like a, this is like Children of Men with me, whereas like Children of Men is like an acclaimed movie. Everybody loves it. Everyone has a strong opinion on it. You liked it more than I did. But for whatever reason, that that movie is one where it's just like, yeah, like, I I got I I can understand what is appreciated about it, as I can understand elements of what is appreciated about this. But on my own, uh, on my own, just uh, experiences of sitting down and looking at it, I just didn't get the the thing that everyone I remember, else gets. I remember after we did Children of Men, like over the years, I've heard more people talk about it and like you know really high praise. I'm like, oh, I I liked it, but I I didn't feel that strongly about it. Yeah did make me feel a bit like, oh, maybe I missed something. <laughs> yeah, yeah, and I remember saying that to you at the time, like, this is a, one of the most loved movies, and you're like, oh, yeah, sure, sure. <laughs> but no, <laughs> no, really. I don't think Lost of the Mohicans is, like, at that huge of a level. Like, when I say it's acclaimed, like, yes, but it's not as acclaimed as some of the others, even within this story type. But 
I yeah, sadly I don't have much else to to say about it. It ends on them looking into the sunset and made me think of the Polish movie we covered earlier <laughs> in the year. I did think of that one a little bit too. I think the book was similarly old. Yeah, similarly old. But thank you. It had dust on it when they adapted it. But it wasn't set in Australia. Yeah, but that is all I have to say on The Last of the Mohicans. I don't recommend it. I don't think it's particularly great. I just didn't, I was just not involved. There's one or two really good aspects of it, some good performances, but also some performances I think aren't that great. I also think the lead female performance isn't that great. I mm. <laughs> I just didn't believe her at any point. I'm like, you're an actress in the 90s who's been thrown into a period piece. <laughs> I didn't believe her. Yeah. I'm sorry to say it. Uh, the good things about it are good, but yeah, I don't really care enough to say I recommend it either. At least, okay, so if we're going to keep playing this little game, when we did the mission, mm -hmm. there was themes that were very, very overt and, like, conversations about, like, spirituality and colonialism mm. that we could really sink our teeth into. And you still, at the, you know, when you were watching it and then eventually when we talked about it, there was a there was a there was this distance you had with it that we have with the last of the mohicans but then being able to talk about it it's like oh right there's this because i i connected with that movie a lot but for us i wish there was someone here who's like here's what you need to get like how i did with you with yeah, the, yeah. with the with the mission i'm like i wish someone was here i'm sorry listening people if you're that person and you're screaming at us but you can Email us over at spitandpolished at gmail.com if you are uh, someone who's like, here's, here's what I get out of Last of the Mohicans that you guys so foolishly don't see. Yeah, if you've got a, something to say about it, we definitely would like to hear it. Yeah, it's, um, yeah, it's, a, it's a movie that I feel like we've had a few of these over the years. It reminds me of uh, The Beast. Was mm. that the name of the movie? Like the Beast the or The Beast of War. Yeah. Beast of War, where it's like, I can appreciate certain aspects of it, but uh, I just didn't gel with it as much as I would have hoped. But uh, it is now time to hear the recommendation for the next episode, our Christmas episode, everyone. It's our episode that will come out before Christmas, and it was your turn recommending listening people. That means now it's Bartek's turn to hit us up with the film recommendation, the recommendation for Christmas time. Yes. It's finally my turn to recommend a Christmas Fuck film you. that's not Holly. It's not my fault. Fuck yeah. I, wa I want you to have recommended it. Yeah, I keep getting all of the Halloween goodness. Yeah. Well, we, I said it last week and it actually ended up being true. Like, we've, this is our fifth. I think Christmas episode of Pictures Power that we're going to be doing, and or, or sixth, and like four of them have now been me. One of them have been you, and one of them have been listening people. It's incredible. Yep. And just like last year, it is a non Hollywood one, so I had to go digging, and thankfully I found one very quickly. What I suggest for the future is you should sit down and gather a list of non-Hollywood Christmas movies so you don't have to panic again in the future. Because <laughs> let's just assume it will happen I again. Remember, I remember last year I was going through so many. I just I can't find this one. No, that's not interesting enough. I'll People from this country say that this is like bottom of the barrel entertainment. Mm. I shouldn't do it. And I end up finding a decent one. 
Um, and this one is also, uh, seems to be re- relatively beloved in its country, and a country that also begins with an F, Ryan, but it's not France this time. Finland? It's Finland. Ooh, I've never seen a Finnish film. I don't think I have I've seen, seen a finished film, but yeah. I haven't seen a Finnish film. Yeah, everything except The Snowman, you've seen it. <laughs> <laughs> no, this is a Finnish film with a double N. Uh, this one is called, and it's a colonnaded title, <gasps> Rare Exports. A Christmas Tale. Oh, is this? I, I I think I know this one. It's like the Santa horror movie. Yeah, it says on Wikipedia it's, like fantasy action horror comedy. Yes, I know. I, this was a big deal when it came out. Twenty ten. It's from. Yeah, it's one of those like it's a schlocky movie, but it was a big deal when it came out because it was like you know Santa, evil Santa, Krampusy stuff. It sounds fun. Yeah, it seemed like a fun film, and I remember I I initially I thought like okay, what's a country that like wouldn't have a Christmas film. So I was looking at like Bollywood Christmas films, like obviously nothing came up. And then my second idea was uh, something Scandinavian. You're going to one year give us a Hanukkah movie. That's also relative I'll, around the same time. Oh, dude, if if it was a Hollywood pick, I would have gone with Eight Crazy Nights. <laughs> I still I still haven't seen it. I want to see it. <laughs> <laughs> oh, no. We could go with one of the Rugrats uh, uh, Hanukkah specials because they were Jewish in the Rugrats. Okay. Uh, yes, I well, That's how I learned about the the menorah and a bunch of stuff was from Rugrats. <laughs> but everyone, make sure to check out Rare Exports, a Christmas story tale. Tale spelled L E, not L I L. Yeah, uh, it's not a furry film. Well, don't say that until you see it next time on Spit and Posh Presents. We'll watch a film that may or not may not be for furries. So make sure to keep your um, eyes open. Apparently, fairies might like it. They're in the cold, so they might be wearing furs. They might be warm. They might. They might be warm. <laughs> yeah. They're in the cold, so they might be warm. That's because the they're logic. wearing fur. Because they're wearing furs. Yeah. They're wearing fur suits. Yeah. There is a Christmas movie about furries. It's called Pottersville. Can I tell you about this? Isn't that the name of the place in A Wonderful Life? Yeah. Okay. But. This movie is called Pottersville, starring Michael Shannon, the legendary actor Michael Shannon, who's, you know... Yeah, Kangaroo Jack, I know. Kangaroo Jack, freaky guy. Our third and, episode. And the pitch of the movie is he walks in on his wife getting fucked by <laughs> the chief of police of the town who's dressed as a furry, and she's a furry, and he's like, what's going on? And then he has to contend with that whilst also trying to maintain his Christmas, like trying to maintain his business for the Christmas sale. Mm-hmm. And it's also a movie about Bigfoot uh, is in town and it's stalking or Yeti. It's a terrible movie, but the opening is v- genuinely very funny to see Michael Shannon playing innocent family man and him like apologizing to his wife for walking in on them having an affair. It's just very well, just say, as furries, <laughs> and then he's being explained what yiffing is, and just <laughs> well, yeah, I was gonna say in your abridged synopsis, you you said that his response was, "What's going on?" Yeah, yeah, yeah. Just... <laughs> it's not the Jeffrey Rush approach to finding out that your spouse is cheating on you with a pool boy. <laughs> That's got to be. I I said this when we watched it, but Intolerable Cruelty still has to have one of the best film openings ever. Like that first five minutes is glorious shit. Like. Yeah. The opening of it of him driving down one of the most famous Hollywood streets in his Porsche while singing I'm Just a Poor Boy. And that was just an opening. We did a film this year that was all about someone getting revenge on someone cheating. What was it called again? The British one? Oh. We did it after uh, Breaker Morant. The, was well, it? With the bloke. He's a bloke. 
47 inch chest that's it yeah or 42 inch chest sorry my my just you said with the bloke in it you can find us on twitter and facebook under spit and polished presents and again if you want to email us you can over at spit and polished at gmail.com recommend movies to us and we put them on our list so please send us your movie recommendations we will add them and eventually get around to them we are getting very low in our list we are getting so low I've always wondered what will happen if we reach a no suggestions in the list, but we've managed for several years not to, so please keep up the tradition of us never, ever, ever eating and also never getting to the end of the list. Yeah, keep making the list bigger. And also tune in next week because we made a promise in the first episode of this year and we have to keep it in the final episode. 